Welcome back uh, to Jokerman Podcast. I'm, uh, I, I guess I just have to come up with a fake Wilbury name because the uh, what Wilbury are you feature on the Wilbury website is not working. Um, so I'm, I'm uh, L- Lorenzo Wilbury Jokerman. And and I and I'm joined as always by mm. <laughs> Proud Bottom Will Wilbury Jokerman. Sure. I'll take it. We have a hyphenated it's like Wilbury Jokerman hyphenated last name. Right. This is of course part two, side B of our Traveling Wilburys, volume one uh series of episodes. Uh about the greatest supergroup of all time, and uh, that's the Traveling Wilburys, um, a group comprised of five legends of rock and roll, five dudes who rocked. Very much so. Coolest, rockinest dudes of 1988. And, uh, of course, those men are... That was at my line. Yeah, I, I'm giving you a pop quiz. <laughs> Uh, we have Lucky, Lefty, Otis, uh, Charlie Jr., and um, what was George? Nelson. 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 That's right. I wasn't going to get Nelson. That's their actual names, but um, their their fake names are Bob Dylan, George Harrison, Jeff Lynn, Tom Petty, and Roy <laughs> Orbison. <laughs> I'm getting the names confused in my head now. Yes, you can see their their real names and their stage names if you watch that documentary we mentioned previously, where it uh, it, it credits them Lucky Lucky Wilbury as Bob Dylan. Right. Um, I I mentioned the website, um, and I I'd like to talk a little bit more about the website, uh, which is travelingwilburys.com, um, and it has a great tagline, uh. Like that's at the bottom of every page, I I think. That says just when you thought great music was gone forever. Dot dot dot. Uh it's a real shame that this website is like terminally broken. Like there's so many things on it. So many bells and whistles. As we talked about uh, last time, the Wilburys was to be like a a completely world stomping um world ending <laughs> earth shattering i mean type of supergroup event and it was but um they were they wanted to make it even uh bigger it was going to be like something that spawned full on feature films at least this is in like this sort of secret imagination of george harrison um this is what he was planning and what i mean to say is that they had so many things in place for scaling up the Wilbury project. This website seems like even the people building the website were like holding out some hope that there might be just some insatiable appetite for more Wilbury content that I guess never came. And and then the website fell into disrepair. It's like gray gardens over there. On Wilburys.com. It does still seem like the kind of thing that is like, someone's expecting there to be new Wilburys news at some point. The next Wilburys news, I'm afraid we both know what that's going to be. Right, yeah. But yeah, we, uh, you know, go go check it out. There's a tantalizing photographs Polaroid section that completely fails to load, although you seem to have dug up a series of yeah, Polaroids I've, from somewhere, Evan. You've been posting them on the Instagram. I've just kind of scoured the net um, trying to find what would have comprised the Polaroids section. The legendary lost Wilbury's Polaroids. Yeah. Um, and there are some really beautiful ones that I found. That one of Roy in the pink shirt with the like the five images of him like through a, some sort of weird wacky lens. Yeah, they they were playing around with some kind of lens. I I can't tell who was taking the photos. I can't imagine that it was Bob Dylan, but who knows? Who knows? One note I'm seeing. This is just sort of of the of the moment. Off the top of my head, I'm scouring the 
Wilbury's Wikipedia page here at the bottom noted that they were awarded, they won the best rock performance by a duo or group with the vocal Grammys? for the 1990 Grammys. Exactly. Well, today was a big day for the Grammys because it was indeed the, the an ignominious day. Yeah. A, um, honestly, like most days for the Grammys, it was um, just a travesty Shit. joke. Yes. Um, congratulations to Phoebe Bridgers, who it's now <laughs> official is the be- is better than Bob Dylan and put out a better <laughs> better song than Murder Most Foul. Yes. This year. The most infuriating thing about the Grammys is that it's not necessarily artists that are bad that get recognition, but the ones that are the best consistently do not get recognition from the Grammys. Um, what are we talking about? Is that Bob Dylan didn't get a single nomination for uh, Rough yes. and Rowdy? One of the like album events like of 2020. Yeah, I can't really think of many records that have come out this year. Like, there was the Destroyer record, which came out in January, which feels like it was from nine years ago. Great record, but the the Grammys would never... Well, of course not. But, I mean, nothing against Phoebe Bridgers, per se, here, you know. Uh, she's definitely had a big... Uh, she was a notable artist of the year. And Big Thief, for example, also got um, a couple noms, which, you know, well-earned. I hope they win. I didn't even realize. But, of course, none for Bob Dylan. Um, You know, it's true, though, that songs like Murder Most Foul are a dime a dozen these days. Yes, yeah. You you just turn on the radio and there's there's a zillion songs just like that recounting the decline of American empire through the allegory of the CIA assassinating the, uh, the, the boy wonder president. The real insult to injury about them snubbing that song in particular, though, is that it was Bob Dylan's first, like, charting, real, like... Chart-topping, yeah, like, number one single. Which uh, they really had to go out of their way to ignore, I feel. Um, Yeah. Which is just, like, so peculiar. They must have just not liked that song. Or there are the feds, they are, or the CIA. Well, they certainly are the feds. There's no question that the CIA is involved in the entertainment industry and the bodies represented by the Grammy nomination committee, whoever is involved in there. But I mean, you, you, you do really need to think about what the Grammys are, which is not some sort of uh, canonical arbiter of artistic merit in the recording industry, the same way that Pitchfork uh, is is certainly not that. Um, either, but rather, you know, just sort of a, uh, an agglomeration of a particular type of person, a particular class of person, right. if you will, uh, and the interests that are most likely to be advanced by that type of person. And just so wealthy I, people who are, who have no taste, who will watch, they'll like the Sopranos, but then they'll go ahead and like, uh, some other trash that, that they put on the TV and they just don't, they, they just eat it all up like the slop that it is, uh, right. you know, not the, the Sopranos is slop, but to a certain kind of aesthetically bankrupt neoliberal sensibility, as long as it's got the prestige, uh, the glow of relevance around it, that's really what they're chasing. We sound like Red Scare all of a sudden. Um <laughs> <laughs> Are you Dasha or Anna? Uh, I don't think they give a shit about Bob Dylan. Um, <laughs> I'm Dasha. <laughs> uh, and anyways, no, I I do think that um, like the like the Sopranos, you know, the Emmys, the Golden Globes, the the Oscars, for whatever reason, do seem to have some more uh, degree of inbuilt prestige than the Grammys do. Uh, why that is, I, I don't really know, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the people that are likely to be voting for this kind of stuff and awarding things uh, at the Grammys are just not the kind of people that you even want merit uh, accorded to you from. Like, it, it, it would be, it would be a, a demerit to Bob. It would be a, um, yeah, a yeah. negative sign if he had been appreciated 
for Murder Most Foul or and Rough this and is not ways. sour grapes at all. You know, we're Certainly not, not that we're not being we're not upset and we're not mad. That's the most important thing. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I, uh, I know what you're saying, but I I would like to clarify that I literally am not mad. I legitimately <laughs> not am not mad, and in fact, I am laughing and happy right. that Bob did not get any sort of prestige from uh from the grammys this year the man has a nobel prize for for doing music right i guess like he probably not like not that it would matter to him in the first place but it shouldn't matter to us is what i'm saying um right we're asking too much i think for a world where he gets the grammys and the i guess he doesn't have any they can't win an oscar this year but he's won an Oscar. Bob has for uh, Ronaldo and Clara, best picture. Yeah, yeah. For the for the true story of the traveling Wilburys. <laughs> yeah. For um, uh, I'm not even gonna say Hearts of Fire. That's too dumb and obvious a joke. It would never happen, even in a joke world. Right. Right. I am for myself. Just I'm I'm plenty happy to be appreciating Bob with you, Evan, and with our fellow Joker men yeah. uh, of all genders who uh, have accompanied us on this journey this year on the podcast and on the various social media networks. Uh, this, this is the only this is the only appreciation and and award that Bob needs to get is yeah, the three stars a, a, exactly a series of three star ratings from us. <laughs> What more? What more could he want? Well said. I, I feel like you're really channeling um, the holiday spirit. You know, we're we're recording this um, in those heady days of the crisp autumn season, <laughs> where we uh, are uh, anticipating winter and um, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. So I I too want to give thanks to you, Ian, and to all of the Joker men and women um, who people, who, who people, I guess I could use the people as a verb who people our social media. Sure. Uh, following shit, followerships, everyone who listens. Thank you. You all deserve three stars. That's right. Except for that guy who gave us uh, three out of five stars and was like, these people don't like Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully he's gone and started listening to uh, uh, the the Dylan box or whatever that YouTube series was. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The, we are already like an obscure Bob Dylan podcast, but uh, like mushrooms under a rotten tree stump, they, they just... Keep springing up. Even more obscure ones will just exist and um, continue to... Fester. One day we'll have a Patreon. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we should start discussing side B here of the Traveling Wilburys, Volume One. Now, side B, track one. Congratulations! Congratulations for making it halfway through the Traveling Wilburys, Volume One. <laughs> Um, this is a real Bob showcase. Um, we're coming right hot off the heels of the uh, perfectly placed, perfectly sequenced show-stopping number um, featuring, prominently featuring Roy Orbison of uh, Not Alone Anymore, um, starring Roy Orbison, or I'm sorry, um, Lefty Wilbury. Yes. And uh, right at the uh, in, after the intermission, you've you've gone and gotten yourself some Wilbury soda pop, some Wilbury candies, uh, kissed your Wilbury sweetheart wearing a poodle skirt, and uh, now you're sitting back in your in your nine foot uh, long bench seat in in your Cadillac, and we're getting ready to start the picture show of side two. What do you think of congratulations? Mm. Mm. You don't like it. Yeah. Can't say it's my favorite on Wilbury's or really on Bob's 
Her, well, I guess I was going to say his his recent kind of or his output from this era, but obviously as we've covered extensively, this hasn't been the strongest run of releases from him. I I, I uh, thinking back on it now, I almost want to say that he's like uh, his contributions to this record are actually some of my least favorite. I think of the other. Within the Wilbury, within the Wilbury, yes, within the Wilbury's extended universe, Mm -hmm. Uh, and congratulations is maybe mm, looking at it now, just the track list. Yeah, congratulations might be the might be the bottom of the barrel as far as I'm concerned. It's not a bad song. It's just it doesn't doesn't really seem to do a whole lot for me. What it doesn't have. it's kind of the most prosaic, I, I would say, of all the songs, if I could use that $5 word. Sure. Um, in that it's not very uh, colorful. It's pretty steady. It's got some... I think it actually is... I don't know. I like it, kind of. It's it's not colorful compared to, say, the next track on the record. Mm. Um, but... or Or the one the the ones bookending it i don't think do it any favors in terms of like making it feel like uh one of the top but i like congratulations i like that bridge where he, there's kind of like actually a pretty melody yeah like a the bluebird was singing, there was no one around. I like that part. It's a a song where he goes, congratulations for breaking my heart. Sort of like a classic sad sack country tune, um, which is, I have a slight soft spot for. I, I like those kind of like confidently cucked uh, country crooner concoctions sure a lot of c's good good run of alliteration congratulations congratulations on your alliteration i i guess i see what you're saying it's it's like I i think it's just kind of colored by what is is going to come from bob shortly after this which is Taking what what he started in Congratulations, which is this sort of, like you said, sad sack, down on your luck, reminiscing, regretting, romantic kind of song like this, Congratulations for but it's Breaking also, My it's Heart. It's very sarcastic, though. The whole thing is, I guess I'm mischaracterizing it a bit by saying it's like sad, because it it's equally bitchy. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how sarcastic it is. Obviously, like the line "Congratulations for breaking my heart." Yeah, the verses aren't don't strike me as particularly sarcastic. I guess I must have loved you That's more true. than I ever knew. My world is empty now because I don't have you. And if I had just one more chance to win your heart again, I would do things differently. But what's the use to pretend that that? I mean, that seems pretty, pretty on the straight and narrow. There, I get the feeling like you don't like this one more so because of the execution or something because. Lyrically and as a, a a song on paper, I feel like it has a lot in common with uh, the sort of country tinged Dylan that you tend to favor. I mean, the, the the country stuff is great because uh, primarily, like, I, I don't know if it's number one or number one A and like tied with with something else, but like the production alone, like, is a huge thing on the the country stuff for me. The the voice and the echo. Right, uh, but and the warmth. I guess is, that's what I'm. I'm saying is maybe that the the thing you object to is you, you you're not feeling the combination of like the glossy Wilburian sonics with the more hard on your sleeve type of songwriting here. I suppose so, but even as the, like the the lyric has has by now, if he's writing these super simple, straightforward, hard on sleeve kind of tracks. The well, I guess we'll and and this is what I was going to say a moment ago is like the what we're what we're going to see from Bob after this immediately after this is going to be sort of a you know a bolt of lightning uh, out of the blue and uh, his his songwriting prowess and his production 
uh, or the production that is applied to him, he, since he isn't producing his own records yet, uh, or at this at this point, um, are, are going to be rejuvenated and totally, uh, totally, you know, uh, interesting again. But this is just like it's it like there's not it doesn't have that homespun, sweet and simple quality that that Nashville Skyline or or some of the tracks on Self Portrait do. It's it leans more toward the like Huey Lewis end of the spectrum. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, it's just it's just not like it doesn't it's not particularly interesting to me and and I think what I've come to realize is uh like when I'm like the Wilburys to me are just like a like a a glossy, smooth um uh Hollywood pop group. Like that's if I'm if I'm if I'm gonna listen to the Wilburys, that's what I want to to listen to out of them. And and there's you know, there's there's plenty to say for that kind of music, that kind of that style of recording. Uh but um uh you know when when we're when we're approaching it from the perspective of a uh, the world's dumbest Bob Dylan podcast. Um, you know, we're <laughs> you're not you're not going you're not um, going to Bob coming to Bob for this you know this this uh, superficial, uh, sweet and simple you know singles uh, seven inch kind of thing that that someone like George Harrison or Jeff Lynne so excelled at, especially by this moment, this time in their careers. And so I, I, I think a song like this and, and this song really in particular uh, of all the Bob tracks just kind of like sort of brings the vibe down to me and, and like doesn't really, it's just kind of like a speed bump in the middle of this record. Cause like you mentioned side, side a closes yeah. with the Roy showcase, not alone anymore. And then the next song, which we'll get to here in a moment, heading for the light is is maybe my favorite song in the entire record and so this is just sort of like a i guess i mean i guess i guess i can appreciate it and dig the (laughs) we can just stop talking about congratulations i i'm i i hate to put you through this so let's just go on to what you just said which uh yeah i i think is a highlight uh for a certain sensibility i like congratulations um even though it's not uh, a big flashy song, but what we have next is absolutely a big flashy song that uh, I think there's no question stands toe to toe with the rest of the uh, e-ticket rides on on this record, and that's uh, heading, heading for, for the light. light. Yes, really sweet, simple, almost lobotomized kind of lyric here. Uh, you know, uh, been close to the edge, hanging by my fingernails. I've rolled and I've tumbled through the roses and the thorns, and I couldn't see the sign that warned me I'm heading for the light. We're not really reinventing the wheel here. This is a George song, primarily. Thinking back to what we talked about last episode, how each of these songs is the product of like, you know, one to two primary Wilburys, and the rest of them just kind of pepper in around the edges this is a george and jeff track uh george takes the vocal and then the i think the production and probably the it sounds, the melody are are sort of a, a jeff yeah. creation i, I yeah. can't help but hear like a serious jeff influence all over the the actual production and the arrangements like there's little bits that remind me of like turn to stone or little bits that remind me of like mr blue sky um, it seems, uh, like an ELO B-side to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think I see. I think, I think this is like a pretty, I think this is a pretty like right down the middle, split the baby in half sort of thing. But <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> the, the torso and the legs go to. I don't to, think I've heard that expression before. You've not heard of that? Splitting the baby in half. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the like the old fable uh, from Babylon or something, right? Sounds very old. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it, yeah, it's like I think it literally might be uh, like from the Bible. Um, Sounds that checks out. Yeah, it's uh, there are it's up to all yeah, kinds King, of shit like that. King Solomon of Israel uh, suggests that when two women come to him, both of whom are claiming to be the 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 mother of a child. King Solomon of Israel suggests literally splitting the baby in half and giving the top half of the baby to one mom and the bottom half of the baby to the other. Uh, and, and thus we are taught a lesson. Uh, 
in that uh, you you cannot split the baby in half because in so doing you are uh, you are killing the baby. <laughs> That's how family court used to be, huh? Yeah. Uh, with, <laughs> yeah, this song is a baby that's split in half, uh, but it isn't dead because uh, it works. Um, and one, the top half is George because he sings and, and the bottom half is Jeff because it's the, the legs on which the song stands. That's one talented baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't go wrong. It's like, it's like, uh, having one half of the song be, uh, chicken nuggets and one half of the song is, uh, uh, Coca-Cola. Peanut butter. Peanut butter. I was trying to think of two things that go together. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the, that was the joke cuz people usually say chocolate and peanut butter and one side that's chocolate and one side that's peanut butter. One side that's jelly, which would be who's jelly in this scenario? Should we bring back mm. what what mustard is <laughs> that yeah, our segment? The long-awaited return of what mustard uh, is this Bob Dylan record? This would be sort of like a um, this would I think the Wilburys would be one of those you know how Heinz is doing those like um, those fusion sauces up, yeah exactly like yeah yeah, mayo yeah chop or like mm-hmm. crunch or whatever uh, I think this is a de- this is a, this is clearly a Dijonese. Uh it's it's uh, Dijon you know, mayonnaise. Yeah, it's a combination. Yeah. You've got your you've got your interesting texture, and the, you know the kind of in, the the deep um, umami funk of the, the, Dijon. the Dijon. That's Bob, and then you've got sort of just like the the white, uh, you know, um, uh, <laughs> that calorie white hot mayonnaise. <laughs> mayonnaise of everyone else. That's well, just, actually, uh, I kind think of, of calories. Uh, Roy, Roy Orbison is, is kind of like mayonnaise to me in a lot of ways, where he's like. A, just so effortless. Right. Um, you know, I'd recently got into a, a bit of a, not a kerfuffle, but I had an exchange online with, a, with French's mustard. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Because, because I, I you got this, upset. That, I bought yeah. Dijon and I, I tasted it. I was using it to make something. And then I, I was just. I don't like, know why you would have bought it? the French. I don't know why you would have bought the French's, French's Dijon. Dijon. I mean, I paid dearly for it. Like I don't know why either. It, I just thought, you know, I'll give it a shot. It looked okay in the bottle. I'm a, it was I'm like, a it wasn't man. Well, it wasn't like a, a classic Dijon. It was like a sort of stone ground one. Hmm. But um, yeah, I picked it up and I tasted it, and uh, when I got it home, and there inexplicably is smoke flavoring added in this Dijon. It's sort of a Chipotle Dijon. But it just says our boldest Dijon yet on the package. Well, that was, that was your mistake. How the hell was I supposed to know that meant they were just going to like randomly put liquid smoke in this mustard? That's what else would it mean? What else would it mean? It's just that like, it's like a good, it's a strong mustard. Like that's like saying there's, you know, there's strong Dijon mustard. There's ones that are a little bit more mild, I think. Anyway, I uh, said to them at, at French's like, why would you like not say that there's smoke flavoring in this on the label? And um, they said, you know, thank you. Thank you for your input. Um, We really appreciate that at French's or something like that. <laughs> so I feel, you know, my voice was heard. You've been vindicated. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that, but I've been part of the democratic process. Right. I feel really good, actually, really hopeful. You, have, you've engaged in the most American of all rituals uh, by tagging a multinational corporation in a tweet and complaining and getting some intern to respond to you. Kara. Kara, uh, thank you. If, if you want to be a guest on an episode of Jokerman, just uh, let us know. Anyway, where were we? Um, uh, <laughs> the next song is what? Tw- tweeter? Is it Tweeter? No, it's Margarita. Oh, Margarita. Another food, sort of, or is comestible, I should say. Drink. Com- comestible? Yeah, something you can eat. Uh, that's, not a, that's not a word. 
It's not. I think it is. Comestible? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I'm almost 100% positive that that is not a word. Any substance that can be used as food. Comestible? A, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Fuck you, Ian. Damn. All right, eggs on my face. You don't even need to edit this out. I can, I'm happy to take the L on this one. Comestible. Yeah, wow. buddy. Wow, I'm glad to have learned that word. That's a cool word. I thought so. Um, Margarita. <laughs> Another comestible. Yes, it's a comestible. It's probably the weirdest song on the record. Like, by a mile, I think. Mm. This is a really weird song. In every way. The intro sounds like craft work. Or like some kind... Or like harmonia. Or like some kind of kraut electronica number. Yes. And then it changes up to have the all the boys come in and sing that like group vocal like margarita and then it changes once more bob dylan just uh lucky wilbury pops in it goes it was in pittsburgh late one night lost my hat got into a fight and then something about went to the Big Apple, took a bite. Mm. Um, inexplicable song. Yeah, doesn't seem to make too much sense. The explicable part of it really is that all of them wrote this song together. Right. And uh, I think it has uh, kind of an interesting propulsive... This is what we talked about last time when... Uh, we reference in the documentary that multiple times they talk about this feeling very fresh. The song's feeling fresh. And uh, I think this song truly does feel like um, a seat of their pants, five whole pair, pairs of pants just flying through the air. You know, just no, no uh, preconceived ideas of how this is going to go. They're just letting the chips fall where they land, where they may. It does seem to me like a song that almost is uh, like a demo, basically. Like they were just kind of riffing uh, in the studio one day before actually getting down to business and, and kicking out the real jams. And this was something that they used to sort of brush themselves up because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And there's, yeah, the, the, the music is all weird in that it just doesn't really fit with the rest of the music they're doing on the song, or excuse me, on the record. Um, and yet here it is, you know, smack dab in the middle of side two. There's also a very weird, it also ends on a very weird note. Bob sings most of this. And then Tom comes in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just literally for the last one line, she wrote a long letter. On a short piece of paper. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it doesn't. It 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 sounds like if you're not paying close attention, it sounds like it's a, a song that sort of just fades out halfway through, like in the middle of of a, a something that is supposed to go on for several more verses. But that no, it's, is it's an extremely it. surreal song in like many ways. Like it actually, not the least of which being that this song, which in itself is very. Um, obtuse or like uh, labyrinthine. It's just strange. It's like has no rhyme or reason to it other than pure songwriting happenstance. Mm. It's also being executed by like five legends of music. There's, it feels like you're just like, like a song you would imagine in a dream. Like, in the dream, you might think this song is great, but if you woke up and happened to remember any of it, it would be something like this. Yeah, and you'd just be like, "What?" Just complete gobbledygook. Uh, which it, this song literally does include uh, some gobbledygook. Uh, oh yes, it Kawanga does. Langa Langa Shoebox Soup. Yeah, yeah. What what is the lead up to that? <laughs> I like, asked her what we're gonna do tonight. She said Kawanga Langa Langa Shoebox Soup. soup. Yeah, we which better is, keep trying till we get it right. Talamala Sheila Jaipur dupe. Yeah, so I think that this is actually a song that really leans into the surreal quality that it has. 
And that's why I like it. I think that it actually, <laughs> it works on this record because it's, a, uh, it's a, the auditory equivalent of a Dali painting. Yes. You know, like it almost is like, in in the least likely of places, you're experiencing 1920s surrealism uh, with Margarita, a song that is, it's unclear if it's about the drink or a woman or, or just the sound of the word. Yeah. Remember, folks... Men, uh, these men know from surrealism, I'm sure, you know, they all they all understand the significance. It's it's a it's a Dadaist type of song in a way. <laughs> I think you you might be crediting them too much on this. This is a Bauhaus type of song. It's decidedly not Bauhaus. No, no. But uh, remember folks, uh, comestible is in fact a word. And a goddamn good one. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, the next song is one that took me a long time to actually kind of wrap my head around. I think it's not until the last time I just heard it recently that I realized exactly what's going on here, uh, which is n- nothing more or less than um, Bob Dylan making a Bruce Springsteen joke song. Yes. Just like a stupid crime ballad. It's like him doing the song Hurricane, but doing the jerk-off motion while doing it. I kind of appreciate this song just because of the title. Because in Twitter and The Monkey Man, like I'm a big fan of Twitter. Uh, I am literally a tweeter. I'm also a big fan of apes. Yeah. Uh, And so I would love to be considered a monkey man. The sort of gentleman of Twitter... Of on of online culture, I think in the last year, it's really become the year of the monkey in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. I feel like the monkey, the ape, um, has sort of risen to the proper prominence that it deserves as as an animal to watch. Really, sure, absolutely. The the uh, an exciting new up and comer for the twenty twenties, the ape. We we see and all of our male friends and. Um, of the men in in the world, we look at p- videos and pictures of monkeys on Twitter. Hmm. It it gives this song a special sheen when you special see resonance that. absolutely. Um, although the actual song is uh, some kind of cartoonish crime ballad, which ostensibly takes place in New Jersey. It involves the characters Tweeter and the Monkey Man. It's unclear if Tweeter is a woman or a transgender person. Yes. The Monkey Man seems to be some kind of monkey man. Um, it, whether that's a <laughs> uh, nickname or literally, as I'm sure you uh, like. Sort I, of a, a Donkey Kong-esque figure. Like yes. A, a, a walking ape with a, a necktie of sorts. That's right. Perhaps a, a set of sunglasses. Again, people people have monkey fever. Um, this song is really about monkey fever um, <laughs> and about Bob Dylan taking the piss out of one Bruce Springsteen. Yes, his inter, uh, his introductor, uh, introducer. This very uh, year at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is it this year? Game. Yeah, and at, well, not this, it, it, contemporaneously. Well, was it 88? No, that's what I'm asking. It was 88, yeah. Okay. The same ceremony in which uh, the Beach Boys were inducted. That's um, right. That's what we talked about last where, time, is how yeah, Mike Love's a shithead. Mike Love, absolute... I mean, it's the most famous Mike Love moment, is when he takes it upon himself to ruin the Beach Boys' like special moment on the stage, and especially ruin sweet angel Brian Wilson's speech uh by just coming out there wearing a tux and like a baseball it's a cap. baseball cap it's it appeared to be a ucla hat somehow okay yeah that, yeah that's what it was and he shouts out muhammad ali muhammad ali who like is not down to be shouted out by him the beach boys continue to do about we did about 180 performances last year i like to see the mop tops match that
I'd like to see Mick Jagger get out on this stage and do I Get Around versus Jumpin' Jack Flash any day now. Now, a lot of people are going to go out of this room tonight thinking that Mike Love is crazy. Well, they've been saying that for years. Ain't nothing new about that. But what I'm talking about is forget this room. The United States is 6% of the population in the world. That's why I came here tonight with Muhammad Ali. Muhammad! Salam Alaikum! I didn't hear you say Alaikum Salam. Alaikum Salam, he said it. Anyway, Bob Dylan, um, a few inductions later, comes up to receive his uh award and says and uh i want to thank mike love for not mentioning me (laughs) and uh i play a lot of dates every year too Uh, and uh peace love and harmony is greatly important indeed but so is forgiveness and we got to have that too so thanks Well, Mike Love always been just a unrepentant, unreconstructed asshole who should uh, die. One day he will. Brian Wilson should live forever. Absolutely, the literal uh, human embodiment of joy uh, and light, just like a beautiful of joy and man. light, and of peace and love. Yeah, and and all the other Beach Boys really are fine, you know, in my book. Absolutely. Al, Al Carl, yeah. Dennis. Love Al and his big old bulbous head. <laughs> yeah. He he Al looks like a like, like a, a light bulb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another bright shining light of American yeah. music. Um I don't know, Tweeter and the Monkey Man, how's it end? It's like sometimes I just think about the Monkey Man. The first time I heard it, I was energized by how confused I was. And and the the chorus really like is what seals that deal because it seems to have nothing to do at all with the rest of the song or the narrative. And this is a group vocal where they go, um, and the walls came down mm-hmm. all the way to hell, and then never saw them when they stand. What 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 do they say? Never saw them when they're standing. Never, never saw, saw them, them when they fell. When they fell, which is. Strange, you know, it doesn't. Oh, would you look at this? I uh, sorry, I've been distracted for the last moment. Uh, I've just been perusing the genius lyric pages for the Wilbury songs. I've been forced to resort to genius because these songs don't have their lyrics printed on the Bible, bobdylan.com. Um, but uh, but genius does have some additional information that bobdylan.com lacks, including uh, sites of recording. Oh boy! Which here includes uh, Lucky Studios, Malibu, California. That's got to be which Bob. we can interpret as Bob Bob Dylan's home. Uh, also uh, recorded at Dave Stewart Studios. Uh, this is the member the the member of the Arrhythmics at whose home most of this record was recorded in Toluca right. Lake, California, oh, where in I Toluca Lake. where I lived for several years. What really? You lived um, in Toluca Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a cool neighborhood. After, yeah, it's very interesting. It's like this this very odd like it's the suburbs. Of, it's the classic Hollywood star suburb. Really, it's like proto, yeah, it's sort of like the, yeah the proto suburb, the proto valley suburb. Um, but here, here, in fact, right here, Dave Stewart's home in Toluca Lake. I've I've pulled up the the informational page for it. We can see it's you know it's, it's quite a home. Uh, it's definitely a little more. I think last episode, I at least was uh, mocking uh, the the site of the album recording as sort of a cookie cutter McMansion, and this is definitely still a big and sprawling home. It does look very the, nice. Yeah, uh, the aesthetic uh, world of of nineteen eighty eight interior decorating is really what we were more. Uh, giving some criticism to. 
that rather than this beautiful house in Toluca Lake, which seems to have great bones. Anyway, if you don't have anything more to say about Twitter and or the Monkey Man, I think we can uh, move on along to the next tune, um, the final tune, which is um, the uh, end of the line. And um, I, I suppose before we get into it, uh, we should mention that um, sadly, Roy Orbison passed away um, at the age of 52 of a heart attack uh, before the video was shot. And uh, they pay tribute, uh, the Wilburys do, to the fallen brother uh, they have in the video for this song um, by having a small framed portrait of him appear uh, in the the set uh, as his part comes up. Uh, You you can see it. Um, And uh, they're all dressed like old Western, like train robbery style. Um, It's a touching little tribute and um, fittingly uh, a a life affirming number, Um, a a celebration of life, if you will. And the end of the line is a song that I think is the rare achievement on, on a real, on a record really, where the opener and the closer are like really simpatico. They really, feel like in this in this case i mean they they really both are like hits in a similar way which is kind of rare for like an, a record to open and close with like the big radio hit yeah i mean the sequencing on the record is unimpeachable they they start off with a bang and they they end with one and you know it's if nothing else these slick hollywood record hit makers um, uh, music men uh, in the parlance of one of our Instagram commenters who almost assuredly does not listen to the podcast um, uh, they knew what they were doing in terms of the sequencing on this kind of record not only is it is it a unimpeachable head bopping hip shaking good time musically but uh, it's a song that is like hell bent on I'm telling you that everything is going to be okay and uh, assuring you that the boomer soul is not irredeemable. You will be accepted into the gates of heaven. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, even when you're old and gray, you still got something to say. Yes, you do. That line is a little bit um, uh, stupid and trite, but it really is uh it it's true in that um this project i think really was sort of like a creative catalyst as we talked about last episode for Dylan and um for Tom Petty and it was also sort of the the chrysalis from which emerged the last Roy Orbison record uh Jeff producing ultimately the Traveling Wilburys volume 1 it pulls off having this song ring true the mm. it's all right which which is not easy to do it's so um there's so many songs that are feel empty and vacuous that have lyrics like that like it's all right it's all fine but i i do actually feel like this song was such a hit because you want to root for these guys you believe in in these guys yes yeah, there's there's a there's a deep psychic truth to such a simple song, even as uh, dumb as it might appear to be. It is all right. You're just going to the end of the line, like one of our favorite Bob Dylan uh, interviews, uh, I guess excerpts when he's wearing that uh, those big old sunglasses and has that cut off hoodie. Yes, and he says, "I'll always be doing this." Uh, I was always playing for keeps, even when I was a little boy. Uh, the the people I admire, they also did it to the end as well. This song is about a group of guys who who did do it to the end. I don't know where, what Jeff Lynne is doing now, but I assume he's making music or yeah, I think he's still putting records out. Yeah, or at no, least he touring. you know he did put a, a a pretty ambitious I think record out like not that long ago. Yeah, these yeah like 
I, I have to check it out. I forgot what the deal was with that. I know it happened. Yeah. But yeah, all these guys did go and go out, some of them, doing what they loved. And, you know, it is very sad to think about that there's only two left. You have uh, George, Tom, and Roy uh, are all gone now. Yeah, that's, uh, that is the unfortunate state of things. It really is sort of surreal to think that... Uh, that Bob has has outlived uh, Tom Petty, especially when you sort of think about their paths crossing, uh, you know, the mid '80s, late mm-hmm. '80s, and how young and uh, essential and just sort of uh, powerful Tom Petty appeared to be at that time, and how um, you know on his uh, on his last legs and and in trouble Bob was, um, you know, not only to for for Bob to sort of have his his fortunes reverse with Petty over time commercially and critically as an artist but then also to literally just still be kicking uh it's it's uh I don't know I, I don't know what to say it's it's a blessing for us but it's you know yeah it's 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 sad that Tom Petty couldn't continue on uh into his further old age he was not he was only in his middle early to mid 60s right yeah i think so if anything, it speaks to the enduring power of uh, the on-the-level mindset. Yes, Bob Dylan's secret formula for somehow not dying uh, <laughs> when he like probably should have, but just keep it on the level. And also, to must talk about George. You know, George also um, George Harrison died too soon, um, and almost died like he was stabbed. Um, wasn't that like not that long after this? He was stabbed, yeah, in a bizarre um, home invasion by a maniac. Yeah, I don't know what what it what was up with people just like trying to kill the Beatles, but that's what they wanted to do. Apparently, um, he he didn't die of the of no the stab no wounds. he miraculously survived. It was a yeah, very survived. insanely harrowing experience, but um, he did die of uh, medical issues uh, too soon. Um, yeah, he had uh, cancer. He cancer, died in yes. 2000, 2001, something like that. The um, silver lining, or really it is a beautiful uh, story unto itself that I think um, is the perfect send-off, is the story of Roy's death. Or It's such a nice thing that Roy, when he died, died with the Wilburys because he was able to be... Uh, witness to this time, this extremely fun and creative and uh, happy time, really, of making this record. And it not it, not only that, but it was a massive hit. And one probably one of my favorite parts of the documentary, the um, true story of the traveling Wilburys, is where uh, they touch on Roy Orbison being so happy that this is how um, it all turned out. And he was just like, isn't it great? It's so great. Yeah. There's a quote here from him on his Wikipedia page. I don't know where the original source of this is from. Roy says here at this, uh, this juncture in his life here at the very end, uh, it's so nice to, uh, it's so nice to be wanted again. Oh, but I still, I still can't quite believe it. No, it's just it just melts your heart. Just you know, he's uh, been in the wilderness for so long. Well, yeah, this, um, the, like we talked about the seventies, and uh, really the seventies was a hard, like like the eighties was hard for Bob and the gang in a lot of ways. I mean, less so Tom Petty, of course. Um, the seventies was kind of like that hard time for someone like uh. Roy Orbison, who and and like Elvis, really, who, yes, they came up. He really came into his own in the early '60s, but um, the early '60s. I think Bob Dylan himself has said this, like that the early '60s was really just the 1950s. Like it wasn't it was not the flower power time that we think about. Like it's it was an extension of the '50s aesthetically, um, right? And 
So it makes sense that the seventies was such a hard time for Roy. And it is really nice that, I mean, come on, that quote is like, ugh. So simple and pure. Yeah. One last, uh, one last quote maybe to, to send us out here from, uh, from, from old lucky himself. Old, wow. old Zimmy. Lucky speaks. Yeah. Uh, from, from Chronicles. Uh, with Roy, you didn't know if you were listening to mariachi or opera. He kept you on your toes. With him, it was all about fat and blood. He sounded like he was singing from an Olympian mountaintop. After Ubi Doobie, he was now singing his compositions in three or four octaves that made you want to drive your car over a cliff. He sang like a professional criminal. His voice could jar a corpse, always leave you muttering to yourself something like, man, I don't believe it. Wow. Bob Dylan sure can write about music, huh? <laughs> He's fucking good. Jeez. He's, he, the, the lines about Jerry and, and this about Roy, he just, he knows his shit. Yeah. I have to believe that if Roy Orbison wasn't involved in this, I don't know it would have happened. I don't know that Bob would have said, hey, come over. Yeah. Yeah, he, I they, do. It, he might have just that day been like, oh, no, and it can't. But yeah. there, this was a thing that happened when George was like, oh, hi, hi, Bob. Uh, you know, we got uh, Roy Orbison here and uh, Tom Petty and everyone. And he's like, oh, OK, yeah, come, sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he needed the cool guy around, the guy he, he respected. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if that's sort of part of why. I mean, who knows what the actual rapport was like between all of them. But that's... Uh, an unusual position for Bob Dylan to be in is to be in a group where there's somebody he looks up to. Yeah. I, I think this is probably literally the only time it ever happened. Uh, probably only in the time that happened in this way. He and, and, uh, Jerry, there might've been something like that, but it, I don't think it was as stark. Right. This guy kind of invented Bob Dylan's, job to sort of paraphrase uh Warren Zevon on Bob Dylan. You know yeah. that quote? Uh he's on it was a time when Warren Zevon was on Letterman and uh I think Letterman asked him about like what do you think of Bob Dylan? He's like, uh he invented my job. <laughs> I don't know that I've seen that actually. It's a great line. Uh that rocks. The the Warren all the all the Warren spots oh, uh, yes. on Letterman are all just absolute gold. Wonderful. Um, that's another alternate reality. Uh, Wilburys fanfic. What if Warren Zevon was in the Wilburys? That would be pretty good. I, I thought also, what if Neil Young was in the Wilburys? Um, that would be all right. Local um, boy. He's living yeah, in the, around so. the, around there. He already did the supergroup thing though with uh, CSNY. I guess and so. That, yeah, and then he like bailed out on that. I think he probably was past it at that point. It, yeah. Zevon as a Wilbury would be good though. It'd be fucking crazy, yeah. Yeah. So cool. Um well I think it's that time to to get down to brass to gold tax. We are here at the end of the line. Uh what is our ranking from one to three stars of the Traveling Wilburys, volume one? You know, I hate to say it, it. Were I were I recording this in a slightly more inebriated state uh, and and a little more high off of uh, just uh, uh, life and love and light, uh, I would I would I would be awarding this album a three star rating. Uh, but unfortunately, I think I'm going to have to give it a two star. Okay. <laughs> For me, this record is an unabashed. And confirmed it's three stars. Um, I think that it's a beautiful thing, this record. Um, It's a beautiful object. I wouldn't want to live in a world where it didn't exist. And um, I I don't know. Will we talk about Wilbury's Volume 3? I'm not sure. Sound off in the comments if you're if anybody for does anybody want Wilbury's to chat. hear that I I 
I only am hesitant to because I feel like this record captures something so pure and you've got all five Wilburys, you know. Right. It's the true canonical original Wilburys lineup. And um I don't know, I just I think that it's kind of magic. It's such good vibes. It's it's valley, it's Malibu culture. It's uh everything I I want for my lo- my loved ones, you know. I want them all to have an experience like this in their life. Uh but the real- nobody ever will. It was a unique moment. Just a moment, moment in time. It came and it went. One thing that I think uh is worth mentioning before we sign off is that uh it's don't just take my word for it, um, but look at the YouTube comments for the song "End of the Line," um, which closes out this record. There, it's really an amazing place. Like there are so many comments of people like talking about how this song, like yeah, maybe it's stupid. We're like I'm maybe I'm drunk right now, I'm high right now, but this song really got me through some hard times or like that my dad who was 60, who had like 10 people could come to his funeral because of COVID. He wanted to have this song be played. There's like so many touching little missives from people to whom this music as, as goofy and uh, silly as it might be is um, actually like basically a sacred uh, type of music. And, uh, that that's a testament to all of the combined talents of the men involved and um the lack of ego and the what Marianne Williamson would call um I guess positive psychic forces that suffuse this record. Um, well said. Thank you. Um so make this record a part of your life, a part of your daily routine. And um we should all petition the Wilbury's website to fix the what Wilbury's uh, fix their whole fucking website but especially the part there it says what is your Wilbury name because I'm dying to know uh, we're all desperate to know it, it's killing me I'm staying up at night Jokerman a candy colored clown they call the Sandman tiptoes to my room every night and just a sprinkle stardust and a whisper Go to sleep, everything is alright I close my eyes Then I drift away Into the magic night I softly say A silent prayer Like dreams Then I fall asleep to dream my dreams of you. In dreams, I walk with you. In dreams, I talk to you. I can't help it if I'm